and I'm your brother, Fireman Diesel Ogaya, and welcome to the Class War Battlefield Podcast. When I started this show in 2011, my goal was to inform, inform, inform. Obviously, the show has evolved, a lot of new topics, a lot of new thoughts, taking on metaphysics, some spirituality, hitting you with all types of things that you may have never heard of, and some that you have. It's always lively. But now I'm coming to you to ask you to help me prolong this podcast. For years, I have been producing this podcast for free on your behalf. I am now coming to you to ask you to support this work. Whatever you can do, please do. And now, the definition. Definition. Memo to these white students. I told y'all they coming after you. Hashtag we tried to tell ya. Cleta Mitchell, a top Republican legal strategist, told a room full of GOP donors over the weekend that they must band together to limit voting on college campuses and same-day voting registration and automatic mailing of ballots to registered voters. The Washington Post got a copy of her presentation. Listen. I think that we can fix a few things in North Carolina because I think we, we have... Uh, we now have a legislature controlled by the Republicans. Um, if we can persuade the new Republican member to vote with us. Um, but these are statutory changes that we could get done in North Carolina to protect against any of this private money. Because I promise you, Stacey Abrams has been in North Carolina, and we need to make sure that that money is not flowing into Mecklenburg, Durham, and Wake counties. So we need to, we need to be looking at what are these college campus locations in Poland? What is this young people uh, effort that they do? They, they basically put the polling place next to the student dorm so they just have to roll out of bed and go back to bed. Um, and we need to build strong election integrity task forces in those counties. Virginia, we have a great task force uh, in every county in Virginia and we have a great statewide coalition. They, the governor just signed a bill yesterday that get, does away with signatures on absentee ballot applications and ballots, and now it has to be the last four digits of the social security number and a birth year. And we need to make sure that there's transparency and people are watching and verifying. That makes Virginia back in play, frankly, uh, to be able to have some authentication. And again, having first day in-person voting campaigns. Uh, Wisconsin is a big problem because of the first day, because of the polling locations on college campuses. There are five ones and threes. Their goal for the Supreme Court race was to turn out 240,000 college students in that Supreme Court race. And we don't have anything like that, and we need to figure out how to do that and how to combat that. So, yes. Yeah, if we do not control the state house as the governorship, aren't we just out of luck? No, no, I don't think so. Because the thing, so in the states where we can make changes in the law, like North Carolina, I hope that we will be able to plug some vulnerabilities there. Uh, but most of these are, it's just taking what, you know, we're kind of stuck with the hold hand. And uh, we'll see what happens in Virginia this fall. If we, if the Republicans are able to hold the state house and, and reclaim the state senate, 
then maybe it's possible to get rid of 45 days of early voting in Virginia. 45 days. Do you know how hard it is to have observers be able to watch for that long period? I mean, there are several things that they can do. They can get rid of same-day registration, but they can't do that now because the Democrats still hold the state Senate. But I just remind everybody that having people involved, engaged, and overseeing all of that in 2021 in Virginia made all the difference, even though it was still controlled by Democrats in every office. Folks, again, I've been telling y'all what these folks have been doing. Joining us right now is Damon Hewitt, President and Executive Director of the Lawrence Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, my alpha brother, and also Cliff Albright, co-founder of Black Voters Matter, joining us from Atlanta. Damon, this, I could go back, and this probably was 2012. I think it was 2012. I can't remember. It was Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, ALC, and it was a panel um, uh, and it was um, then Secretary of State Kristen Clark was, who uh, preceded you, Sherilyn Eiffel, others represented Terry Stewart. It was her panel. And I said to them, I said, y'all, we keep talking about black and brown voters. I said, we need to be talking about to these white college students. I said, because the numbers are trending and the Republicans are about to go after them. And I said, we, I said, this thing about voter suppression, I said, it can't just be seen as a black brown thing they coming after these white kids and that's exactly what that woman just laid out well look what, what the clips said and what they said is right the republicans are right the youth vote is a threat to the party because of polarized voting not just racially but also politically polarized voting we know the youth turnout for the 2022 midterm was the highest for a midterm second highest for a midterm in the last 30 years and that's not only black voters and brown voters that's white young people as well who are more enlightened, more progressive, and more willing to stand with black lives and with our causes. You know, Cliff, um, I'm a graduate of Texas A&M University. And overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly conservative. They removed an early voting lo uh, location off of the Texas A&M campus, the Brazos County folks did. That benefits Republicans. Then they were like, oh, it's too early to put back on. And so I think it's going to be back on the campus by 24. But this is happening all over. Republicans put forth a bill in the Texas legislature to not, ha to not have early voting locations on any Texas campus, 8,000 students or higher. And so I'm like, yo, y'all don't understand. They're coming after you as well. So y'all better be in this fight with us black folks because we ain't alone. Yeah, you're exactly right, Roland. And, and, and add on top of that, that in your state of Texas, your home state of Texas, that in addition to you know, closing these polling places, it's also um, in Texas where you can use a gun permit to vote, but you can't use a student ID to vote. They don't like young folks. They don't like they don't like anybody. They don't like young folks. They don't like older folks. They don't like black folks. They don't like brown folks. They don't like women. They don't like LGBT. I'm actually in Tallahassee right now where I was at the Capitol. Uh, where, where they passed those horrendous bills yesterday. But my point being this, I think that this issue uh, really highlights two things that we've seen um, historically. You know, one is that all of these things that start out rooted in anti-blackness, right, that are, that, are, that are tactics that are designed to direct black communities, young and old, it's only a matter of time before they start to expand them and they impact the entire population. They, they, they try to do that with absentee voting, uh, targeting black folks. You remember the, the cases in Alabama where they try to prosecute uh, uh, black activists for absentee. And then years later, it becomes something where they're trying to get rid of all absentee voting, right? 
college campuses. They attack black students first. Then they come after all college students. So it really highlights that what starts in, in, in anti-blackness goes to the rest of the population in just a matter of time. But the other thing that this highlights is the point that you're making about the power of young people. At the end of the day, it was two young black men, the, the two Justins, the Tennessee two, that got expelled. But it was a lot of young folks that were marching on that Tennessee Capitol that was the impetus of, of, of that protest, right? And a lot of that was young white folks. Um, they don't like the energy that, that students across the board are having. That's because it's young folks that are that are concerned with the gun violence. It's young folks that are concerned with climate change because they know that it's going to impact them in their lifetime, right? Um, it's young folks that are that are concerned, most concerned with police violence that were in the streets during the, the racial reckoning of, of, of 2020. Young folks are having, and it's young folks that have been impacting these elections. You heard her in the tape talk about, yeah, these young folks, uh, we think that they influenced this recent Wisconsin election with that very important Supreme Court race. It was young folks in places like Georgia and in other states in 2020 and more recently in 22, that it was young folks that were oftentimes one of the deciding factors in some of these uh, razor, razor thin margins. And so they are trying to squash that by any means necessary. And they continue to show us that all they care about is, is not the integrity, not, not election fraud. All they care about is winning elections. And that's all that this is about. She said in that video, oh, imagine um, in some of these places, these students are able to roll out of bed and go vote and then go right back in, and right back to their dorms. Like cluster pearls, heavens to Betsy. Oh my, you mean it's easy for them to, to, to leave their dorms, go vote, and then go back to the dorms? Like, like oh, this must be the apocalypse. But this is, this is what it's all. It's not about election integrity or voter fraud. It's only about a sheer use of power. What do educators need to know to prepare students for the age of knowledge creation and breakthrough thinking? What trends and challenges must be managed and overcome to ensure success? Find out next in the chat room. In Dodia Schools, our focus in energy addresses a question that is critical to our mission. How can we create the conditions necessary to ensure highest student achievement for all students? With us in the studio to address the impact of technology in a rapidly changing world is Gary Marks, president of the Center for Public Outreach in Vienna, Virginia. The center provides counsel on future-oriented leadership, communication, education, community, and democracy. As a futurist, Mr. Marks has directed studies such as future-focused leadership and 16 trends, their profound impact on our future. He's the author of numerous books and articles, recently provided training to DoDEA principals and assistant principals across the Pacific. Welcome, Gary. It's nice to have you in the studio. Frank, it is really good to be with you and to be working with DoDEA schools. Well, it's always our pleasure to host you. Um, Gary, what are, what are some of the trends that, um, that you talk about in your, in your research, 16 trends, that we know are going to have a profound impact on schools and education? Well, as you know, Frank, there's a lot of discussion about data-driven uh, decisions. And I spend years uh, spotting trends uh, and try to be a scholar and try to be interested in virtually everything from, <laughs> from medicine to uh, the automotive industry to the timber industry to education and everything else and try to see tendencies, you know, forces that are sweeping across, across the landscape. And uh, often when I talk with educators uh, and ask them what the trends are, they'll say, well, we, we don't have enough budget or, you know, that we have high standards that we're trying to meet. Mm -hmm. But I like to back off to those massive trends that impact the entire planet and then 
get people to think about what the implications might be for education. Some of those trends, Frank, are the aging of society. Uh, and when you look at that on a planetary basis, there are certain parts of the world, generally the Western world, where the old are outnumbering the young. Uh, in the United States proper, uh, our population is rising primarily because of immigration and the children Surely. of immigrants. But you go to some other parts of the world uh, and you find these huge increases in the youth population and uh, there are not that many people who are older. Uh, and it's all a matter of, uh, you know, how many kids are born and how long people live. So aging is one of the trends. Another is diversity. Uh, still another is uh, deals with ethics, uh, certainly in this post-Enron world. Ethics, very, very important. And uh, getting it right, when we think of that uh, spectrum all the way from arrogance on one end to empathy on the other, we need to have confidence but on the other hand, we need to make sure that as educators, for example, we're serving others, and that's true of anyone in any profession, especially in government. Uh, others uh, include uh, planetary security, uh, the need to take care of this planet. Uh, still others involve uh, the move toward uh, interdependence. Uh, you know, we, are, we really are interdependent. We really need to, to understand diplomatic skills. Uh, and, of course, I think that's one of the, the many areas where the Dodia schools really excel is in uh, diplomatic skills. Uh, technology, of course, and I could go through a number of these trends, but that's just, a, that's just a starter set of some of the 16 trends we write about in our book. Well, and it's, as you say, it's just a handful that you've given us, but it's, it's overwhelming, Gary, 16, 16 trends that, that, that are going to impact. Wh where does a school district or any organization begin to address them? Well, I've seen a number of school districts who have used these trends to stimulate a community-wide discussion or a discussion among the administrative team or a discussion among all the educators in the system or at a certain location. They'll take a look at these trends and then they will engage either the staff or the broader community in thinking about what the implications of these trends are for um, uh, how we run our schools, how we operate our schools and school systems, for what students need to know and be able to do. Uh, for economic growth and development, quality of life in a community. And once they've done that, then we come back and ask them to identify issues that they face and sort those issues according to, one, the probability that they'll become major issues, and then if they become major issues, then what impact will they have? And then we finally get to what we call gap analysis, and we ask people to put aside any budget constraints, to put aside any of the rules that have been in place for a long time and just dream about the system we really need to get students ready for life in a global knowledge information age. I would even, I guess I would even call it an age of knowledge creation and breakthrough thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how this process uh, brings people along and, and creates a sense of ownership. People can say, you know, as I look at these trends, I can see how we need to get connected to those forces impacting the whole of society because those are forces that will impact our students' lives, and certainly they impact the institution. Now, you just had a chance to go through this drill with, uh, with many of our principals and assistant principals from Korea, Japan, Okinawa, and Guam. Um, what, how did that go? What did you find out from your work with them, and um, what, what f did you learn from them that... Um, that, that gives you hope that maybe we're on the right track in some, some of these cases? One thing I generally find from DoDEA uh, principals, uh, other DoDEA administrators, uh, teachers, and others who work in the system, 
that these are people who made a decision to join the school system. You know, it was a conscious decision because most of them have left home, wherever that was, whether it was in the middle of the country or somewhere else, and they've joined the system. In some cases, they might be people who live in a, the area where the, system, the particular school or school system is located. But they've made a choice, you know, to try something new. Mm-hmm. And so uh, people are extremely excited about the idea of creating the, the education system we need to prepare students for the future. One indication of that, Frank, is that um, DODIA has taken what it does on a day-to-day basis and in the center of its planning chart, you know, it has these uh, sort of concentric circles showing the very things that the DODIA schools do. But then the other thing you did is take a big circle and draw it around all those things that happen every day. And that circle represents uh, the world outside. And we look at the forces, you know, within, within the world that uh, impact education. And it also, I think, forces the system, as it should all systems, to take a look at the world in which our kids are going to live their lives. So I think it's, uh, it's brilliant. And yeah. um, it really puts everything in perspective. And so I, I find... Uh, lots of energy, and I find a great deal of experience and commitment among DoDEA uh, educators. Uh, it's it's all there. Now, I, I was there with you, and I know that our principals appreciated you leading them through that uh, that whole thought process. What um, did you learn anything, or did you help principals think through some things that that we need to take a serious look at uh, as we move down the road? There are some things we talked about. One is because there is this wealth of experience, and because Dodia schools are so connected to uh, to other cultures. You know, you the schools exist in other cultures. And uh, in the United States, we're, quote, a multicultural nation. But I'm not sure we do as well as we should at understanding and appreciating and celebrating other cultures. Uh, you know, it's very important for us to celebrate our diversity because if, uh, if we manage our diversity well, it will enrich us. But if we don't manage our diversity well, it will divide us. Well, uh, DoDEA educators understand that because they work in that milieu all the time. And I think one thing that, uh, that I would like to see is, is DoDEA sharing more of its experience with school systems across the nation. Our Republicans just lost Generation Z. This, you know, one of the biggest bright moments of, of my days and, and, you know, my life these days is watching these young people, you know, young people in their teens and 20s who are coming up in the world and are just saying, you know, we're not going to take it anymore. We are sick and tired of being shot at at school. We are sick and tired of the minimum wage being at $7.25 an hour. We are sick and tired of not being able to join a union when we get a job at Amazon or Starbucks. We're sick and tired of, of not having health care. We're sick and tired of, of, of going into debt to the tune of, you know, enough to just block out life opportunities just to get a damn education. Generation Z is awake. And they, they are having none of this Republican stuff that, that we kind of seemed to put up with for most of my life. I mean, there, there, there was a lot of pushback to it prior to the Reagan revolution. But, you know, we've had 40 years now of, of basically Republican policies. 
even being enforced by a couple of Democratic presidents. I mean, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama both did a lot of good things, but they also continued many Republican policies, many, many of these neoliberal policies. And these young people, the Generation Z, they're, they're, they're not having it. They know what neoliberalism is. They know how, 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 what a failure it's been. They totally get it. I mean, after the shooting in Nashville last month, you, you had all these young people show up. I mean, there were, they, it was all ages and all races and genders and everything else, you know, showed up at the Capitol building there. But there were a lot of young people, in part because two of the three legislators who were being expelled by Republicans were young people themselves. They were, they were Zoomers also. Representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson. And now, you know, Republicans, now we've got, a, there's another shooting here. Now this is, uh, what, in Louisville in a bank. Last week, Ted Cruz had made uh, an offhand comment, apparently, about how, well, yeah, if we had more guns than people had, people were in banks with guns, things would be safer. Right, so, the, so a guy buys a gun, walks into a bank in Louisville, kills five people. One of the, the police officer was shot in the head is still in critical condition. Brilliant, Ted. Representative Jones of Tennessee, Justin Jones, said uh, your overreaction to his Republican colleagues, your overreaction, your flexing of false power has awakened a generation of people who will let you know that your time is up. And you can just see these, these uh, old white Republicans in the Tennessee legislature sitting around going, yeah, right. Um, they don't realize their time is up. There is a new generation coming up, and they are wide awake. They know what's going on. These young people are not buying the BS that's coming out of Fox so-called news, right-wing hate radio, and, and uh, you know the, the, all this stuff. In fact, just consider some of these statistics. These are 18 to 29-year-olds, right, which is Zoomers. 63% of them think, think that gun laws should be stricter. 70% of 18 to 29-year-olds voted for John Fetterman in Pennsylvania when they went back and looked at that, at that election. In fact, across the nation, in the 2022 election, of the Gen Z voters who actually showed up to vote, and they're, they're starting to show up to vote in substantial numbers, 77% of them nationwide voted for Democrats for Congress. I don't think we've ever seen numbers like that. On, on a generational basis. I, I may be wrong. I, I don't have the statistics for every generation, for every, you know, past, what, 50, 60, 70 years. But, but I don't, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and I don't recall anybody, uh, you know, ever seeing a number like that. 77%, 87% of the students in Wisconsin who voted in the, in the race for Supreme Court justice 87% of them voted for the, the candidate most closely aligned with the Democratic Party, Janet uh, Prestowitz, however you say her last name, uh, Judge Janet. And now that, you know, the leading cause of death for children in America is bullets, I don't think Gen Z is going to vote for a Republican for a long, long time. <clears throat> I, I remember... The, the early 1970s. 
after Richard Nixon went down in flames and everybody saw how incredibly corrupt the Republican Party was and said, you know, I, I mean, you know, there, there were, Kevin Phillips, I believe, wrote a book about, it. you know, this is the end of the Republican Party. I mean, there were people th thinking the Republican Party was just never going to hold power again. And then Jude Wininsky came along in 1977 with his two Santa Claus theory. And that just like, you know, the, the sun opened up. Oh, yeah. When, when Republicans get the White House and, you know, Reagan was the next one to do that. Spend money like a drunken sailor. And then as soon as a Democrat comes in, starts oh, and give huge tax cuts to the very, very rich. And then as soon as the Democrat comes in, starts screaming about the deficit caused by your tax cuts for rich people. They've been doing it ever since. They're still doing it. And now, to, to really, you know, put the, put the screws to Generation Z, to Zoomers, you've got Republicans saying, hey, let's raise their Social Security retirement age, but don't worry for you older people right now who vote Republican. We're not going to do it to you. We're going to do it to these young people who vote overwhelmingly Democratic. That's going to endear them to the GOP, right? Remember in 2005, after George Bush got uh, George W. Bush got reelected, and he he gave that speech where he he talked about how I earned a bunch of political capital in this election, and I intend to spend it to privatize Social Security. And he went on a 20 it was going to be an over 20 city tour to promote the idea of converting Social Security into individual private retirement accounts administered by Wall Street banks. And after five, six cities, every, every time he spoke someplace, the idea of privatizing Social Security became less popular. And finally, he gave up. He said, okay, that's it. Screw that. And he started painting or something. I don't know what he did. But, but uh, you know, we just went back to torturing people in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. But this is what they want to do. They, I, this is what Reagan did. See, I, I mean, somehow these guys think that Reagan's playbook will still work. In 1983, Ronald Reagan wanted to begin the privatization of Social Security. And so he did a couple of things. Number one, he made Social Security income taxable. Used to be he didn't pay income taxes on Social Security income. Now you do. You could thank Ronald Reagan for that. Um, number two, he, he significantly increased the amount of tax that you pay into the Social Security Trust Fund, but not for rich people. They put a cap on this, on the, uh, the amount of money. Now, they didn't, the cap goes all the way back to the origin of Social Security in 1935, but, but they capped it out in 1983 at, uh, my recollection is it was around $40,000 back then. And, you know, it's risen up to, it's around $150,000 right now. But if you make more than $150,000 a year, and there's a lot of people in America who do, you don't pay a single penny on the additional income in taxes to support Social Security. Reagan could have fixed that. In fact, if he had done away with the cap, Social Security would be solvent forever. But Reagan wasn't interested in making Social Security solvent forever. He was interested in starting the process of privatizing it. That's why they rolled out 401ks back then. It was like, hey, you know, let's get people used to this. And we'll subsidize it with a tax break. Is Gen Z going to go along with raising the retirement age like Reagan did? Because in 83, Reagan raised the retirement age to, to 67, but he didn't have it kick in until last year or the year before. I mean, he, he put like 40 years of space between himself and that increase in the retirement age because he knew the consequences would not make him popular. 
And today when they talk about, well, the retirement age of Social Security just went up to 67, nobody says because Ronald Reagan did it. So that's what Republicans now are trying to do. They want to take it up to 70. You know, while in France, people are in the streets because Macron raised it from 62 to 64. Here, the Republicans want to raise it from 67 to 70. And, but it'll only kick in for those people who are in their 20s right now, don't you know? Right. You think Gen Z is ever going to vote Republican? They'd have to be nuts. I, I'm telling you, this, we are looking at the fourth turning here. We are looking at the end of a generational cycle, a 40-year generational cycle within these 80-year larger cycles. And, you know, what's old is going to be new again. It's a, the progressive politics are on a, on a roll. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I am very optimistic about the future of this country. If we can just make it through... <laughs> The bloodlust of the NRA and the GOP. Class war, class war, class war. Now, Jim, show this gentleman how you can dance and sing. That's my attitude towards the Western powers. If you want to say there's no rules, fine. Don't go crying for your mummy when that comes. America today finds herself in a unique situation. She's the only country in history in a position to become involved in a bloodless revolution. If America does not respond creatively to the challenge to banish racism, some future historian will have to say that a great civilization died because it lacked the soul and commitment to make justice a reality for all men. When the system doesn't work for the majority of the people, you gotta change the system. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I'm your brother, I'm your guy, uh, and welcome to this Class War Battlefield Podcast episode. I gotta tell you. There's uh, times when there's an alignment that is too powerful to ignore as anything but coincidental. Um, You know, you just heard some clips from Tom Hartman, Roland Martin, and possibly some more. I've already picked out two of them. I might end up putting some more in there. Um... And these clips deal with the overt planning, the public planning by the GOP to subvert the future. To subvert the future. Now this has been somewhat of a uh, theme that I've touched on over the last several months. So to hear them as loudly proudly as they are broadcasting the fact that they need to prevent young people from voting. I mean, they know they have to prevent black and brown people from voting. Um, The GOP has, well, I'll get to that in a second, 
but they know they have to prevent black and brown people from voting. And now they're making it very explicit that white people are waking up too much too. And now they have to, um, they have to suppress them. This goes back to the neoconservative bent. You know, the neo neocons really focused their their contempt back 70, 60, 50 years ago against the new left. That was the late 60s, early 70s. Um, the civil rights movement, that was the 60s, some of the 50s. The New Deal and the constraints placed on corporations, that was the um, uh, 50s, 60s, and the 70s, and the 80s, and tearing apart the old left. That was the 50s and the 60s. Today, they are absolutely frightened by the specter presented before them of the consequences which their decisions over the last X amount of decades has created for them. And thus their answer is not, we failed. Like all good authoritarians, their answer is, we didn't fail. We didn't push hard enough. If it has not become apparent to any of you in the last decade or more, what you call the right wing, and I've made this statement before, is an authoritarian, leaning, moving, uh, counter-movement. They do not believe in competition like they say. They believe in domination like they say. They do not believe in, in, in life they believe in controlling life. They don't believe in liberated life. You know, when they use the word liberty, a lot of people think they mean liberated. They don't mean liberated. They mean controlled. They mean functional. They mean propertied. And they'll tell you that. There was an argument back in what was it the 1700s about the word freedom and what it meant part a part in American history that I've only heard a few good professors speak about including one that posted this absolutely devastatingly thorough um, three course meal of of classes, and I really mean like it, it was three courses um, spread out, I think, over three semesters uh, on the pre-Civil War years, the Civil War years, and the Reconstruction post-Civil War years. I wish he'd do one for, and you know, the guy is probably in his early 80s now, but I'd wish he'd do one on um, 
the um, pre-New Deal years, the New Deal years, and the post-New Deal years. But I don't know, I don't believe that's his specialty. Anyway, um, that idea, though, of what is freedom, which FDR possibly was the last great liberal president to define it in a way that took its power and put it back into the people. Prior to, and I, I got to tell you, the, um, the radicals, the leftists, the true leftists, your socialists, social workers, communists, anarchists, all of them, and by the way, you're true libertarians because, you know, Thoreau was a libertarian and his libertarianness went back to the Commonwealth concept to an extent, but to the Commonwealth concept in um, Europe. He wasn't just a guy who was like, well, I don't like government. No, he looked at the institutions of imperialism and capitalism and said, these things are destroying the commonwealth function that is within us all. We need to get rid of that. So even these people have taken the idea of libertarianism and flipped it on its head. But um, there was a lot of corporations and corporate-minded people who had taken the idea of freedom and made it a thing which they can manipulate to enslave other people. Not only just chattel slavery and um, Jim Crow, as it was called, but also wage slavery. Wage slavery. The inability to subsist without giving money, time, and energy to the wealthy. And so uh, the radicals and the true leftists had already said, look, no, that ain't freedom. This is freedom. Remember who we wore even under the most horrid feudalistic systems, we still had a level of freedom that this system isn't allowing us to live out. And we need to change that. We need to change that. Well, FDR, for all of his shortcomings and problems, took what the radicals were saying and said, yeah... Yeah, we, we might want to listen because the radicals are gaining ground. Well, why are the radicals gaining ground? Why are the leftists gaining ground? The leftists and the radicals are gaining ground because the leftists and the radicals are where the people are at. And the corporations are not only ignoring where the people are at, but they are actively suppressing where the people are at because that's the only thing they know how to do. Their freedom, their idea of freedom is subjugation. And if they keep doing that, those who are being subjugated are going to bounce back and destroy that which was subjugating them, which could cause the entire society to collapse into chaotic, into a chaotic mess. We need to change that. We need to change it now. Which, quick note, uh, that, is, that is one of the major concerns of a lot of white people now when it comes to black folks. End of note. That argument about freedom 
manifested very differently in the post-New Deal um, years. And what we are now starting to see and what the uh, right wing is really starting to see is that their notion of freedom, which they have been shoving down the throat of people now for 30, 40 years, has produced the same set of circumstances that runaway capitalism, unregulated capitalism, because that's what it was back in the late 1800s to early 1900s, it has produced the same circumstances, the same situations, the same desperateness that that runaway capitalist system back then, that unregulated system back then, created. And the people are waking up to the fact that because of these cycles in history, there is no saving capitalism. It is going to capitalist. And what capitalist does is destroy. It knows nothing else. I've said it before. I'll say it again. When you have a system whose central institution is authoritarian... Capitalist central institution is corporations. When you have a system whose central institution is authoritarian, it is hierarchical, it is funneling money literally to the top and ignoring the bottom and crushing them and telling them they need to be happy with the crushing. When you have that reality trying to take over the social functions in a society, the only thing the system is going to be able to reproduce is the institutions that is at the heart of its existence, and those institutions are hierarchical, they are authoritarian, they are all of the above and more. They are anti-democratic, and they are anti-people, they are anti-nature, they are anti-anything but extraction. When, you, when those institutions that you are now trying to build your society off of, look at everything as resources. I mean, do y'all understand what that word means? It's a compound word. Resources. You say it, you don't even realize it. Resource is a compound word. Re and source. When it looks at everything that it extracts, that it uses, that it exploits as a resource that it can exhaust for what it calls profit. And then it can toss away whatever, quote, waste it produces and, you know, forget about what impact that has on society. And that is the, those are the principles which you are now seeking to bring into your culture and form your culture around it's the only thing you can reproduce is what is produced by that institution, and that is authoritarianism. But even worse than authoritarianism, you produce these closed circles of, of belonging to. It is the same system that was produced in Europe which gave rise to the modern corporate formation. Those closed circles were known as royalty, nobility, and depending on where you work or where you were at, you know, the serfs. Those were the three levels. 
And the king was, you know, the kings, the queens, and the royal family. They were at the top. The nobility was around them. And then everybody else was everybody else. Those were the three levels. The kings signed off on corporations and, you know, some of the nobility and some of their princes and whatever would make money from the corporations. But ultimately, it was those three levels of society. The upper class. I'm sorry, the royal class. The middle class. Oh, where's my manners? The nobility. And then everybody else, the lower class. I mean, the serfs and whatever. Everything's a circle, y'all. The corporation which broke free, which broke free of the, um, of the monarchical system and became a prominent player and a prominent institution and a prominent instrument in imperialism and capitalism is now moving through the process of reproducing the seed which gave birth to it and if you do just a little bit of research into the earlier corporate formations you see that that connects it to the Rome the Roman um, I believe it's the Empire I don't know if it was around during the Republic, but I definitely know it was around an early formation of the corporation. And it was considered not illegal, but it was kind of considered frowned upon. People did not like the structure. It was really heavily limited. Oh, I believe that's called regulated back then. Because they saw that there was a huge potential of abuse and danger in it. So they highly regulated it. The Romans did. I mean, this was in the, this was in the, um, I believe in the empire. And the fact that they, they, they found this structure so problematic that they heavily regulated it should have given pause to anybody who wanted to use it in later times, but it didn't. It didn't. The corporation is now in the process of reproducing the seed which bore it. It is moving societies back towards a day and age where you could see royal families or groups of royal families, you know, in a, in a Republican government that would be called oligarchy. You see the middle class, the nobility, and you see the lower class, which was something that FDR was fighting against. We, we really don't understand the level of what the New Deal was when it came to that. That was a reality that was being fought against because people from old Europe remembered those structures. We have become completely divorced from that memory. We think of princes and princes and, and kings and queens as these noble, loving, beautiful things. When folks from Europe who came here in the late 1800s, in the early 1900s, knew that that was just BS. Most, most kings, most queens, most, most royal families are terrible. They're either incompetent or they're horribly, horribly, horribly sadistic or they're horribly psychopathic or they're um, horribly careless. Most... Kings 
are just not good leaders or administrators, or they do something really good, and they do everything else bad. Which is one reason why there needed to be a new structure to govern these societies by. Now, I didn't intend to talk about all that, but I'm kind of glad I did because it opens the mind up to some new realities. <clears throat> now, let's talk about this war. This war on the future. Because it is important. In order to allow this capitalist corporate structure to reproduce what gave birth to it. Because everything seeks to do that. Everything. Whether it's natural, naturally made or it is human made. Everything seeks to reproduce that which gave birth to it. It's a natural cycle. It is a natural cycle. And so... The goal of this process of reproduction is to learn from the mistakes in the past. Now, if the, the movement is positive and not counter, all of the adjustments will be for the benefit of the whole, the larger mass, the, the macro. If it is a counter move. Everything is going to be for the benefit of the micro, typically for that item which is seeking reproduction. It all depends on where you're coming from with it. With the GOP, they have made it very clear that they are interested in the micro, not the macro. They are looking to take the ideals held by a minority of people, which this is the history of whiteness over the last 600 years. They are looking to take ideals held by uh, a minority population and make it the dominant principles for the entire world. In the United States, it's the entire United States. So, with that in mind, I want you to think on something interesting that I haven't really touched on here. And I haven't touched on it for many reasons. Because in the beginning, when it first kind of hit the scene, I didn't know what it was. Um, I was still trying to figure that out. That was back in um, 2019. In 2020, I was busy with pandemic stuff, working, um, and trying to get healthy. So I didn't have time to talk about it then. In 2021, still trying to get healthy. Didn't have time to talk about it then. In 2022, many other things were up and around. And frankly, I just didn't have time to sit down and think through it. But I've had time to think through it now. So I want to talk to you about how the GOP is moving in black and brown spaces to try and determine, or I'm sorry, no, um, not determine, to convince them 
not to vote in their best interest. I think most people who count themselves as progressives know that the GOP has been spending a lot of money. The capitalist conservatives have been spending a lot of money um, infiltrating uh, Spanish radio and Spanish newspapers. Now, I want you to understand something, family. The people who continuously tell you that organizing yourselves into large groups to do leftist things, to get leftist things done on a political stage, these are the same people who literally have created hundreds, if not a few thousand, networks throughout the country and internationally to get what they want done on a political stage done. In short, you better stop listening to your enemies because they ain't never going to give you the keys outright. Because they'll, they'll teach you some stuff if you're willing to look at them deeply enough. But they ain't never going to give you the keys outright to defeat them. They don't want you organizing and creating these vast networks because they got these vast networks that they have organized. And they know that ultimately what you're standing up is truer than what they're standing up for. Once you get organized and you start speaking to people on their level in your communities, you defeat them every time. I'm not talking about 95% of the time. I'm not talking about 90. I'm not talking 99. I'm talking 100%. You defeat them every time. This is why these folks have worked hard for the last 50 years to demobilize a generation. They told you this, that they were going to do it. The Powell memo literally told you they were going to do it. This is why they've been de trying to demobilize a generation to take them out of the political field, and especially among black folks. Because they know we the linchpin to all of this. What, you, you don't think that there's a connection between Black Lives Matter's explosion in 2020 and what we're seeing now? I love the Sunrise Movement. Don't, the Sunrise Movement is doing some beautiful things, but Black Lives Matter hit something big. And it threw a lot of people into the fire who normally would have not already been in the fire. And that has caused a lot of these other movements to swell up. Anyway, so these folks have been putting a lot of money, and here I'm talking about billions of dollars, into capturing Spanish media so that they can try to convince them to vote against their best interests. They want to turn as many of them conservative-minded as they can. They're actually doing the same thing among black folks. They're actually doing the same thing among black folks. There is a movement which, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to speak its name because the problem with its name is that the people who are clearly being paid to promote it have a number of other folks who are working with them who I suspect aren't black. And I know this because having moved around in a lot of white white spaces online, you can tell black folks when they're talking to you and white folks trying to pretend to be black when they're talking to you. 
Either way, it is the Adolf's movement, the American Descendants of Slavery movement, or the foundational black Americans. They're supposed to be different, but they act very similarly, online at least. And while their presence is minimal, while their presence is minimal in the black community, it is a movement which some very prominent internet people have started latching on to over the last couple of years. People with hundreds of thousands of followers. And so it took me some time to realize but it was clear that this was a conservative movement built to infiltrate the black community and to convince them that the Democrats are the evil ones and the Republicans are not. Now, how this is done is brilliant. Yeah, I'm t- brilliant strategy is a brilliant strategy. How this is done is brilliant. While the people who are promoting the Republicans don't explicitly say the Republicans should be voted for, all they do is trash the Democrats. Well, the Democrats, they use literal wordage and verbiage from Tucker Carlson and Ben Shapiro and and Jordan Peterson and other right-wing white supremacist trolls who believe they're white supremacists. They really believe it, but they're not. They're not. There's nothing supreme about them. Either way, they use language, verbiage, sentence structures, similar to these people. But they do it in blackface. They do it in blackface. And they supposedly promote togetherness within the community. They want to build community. They want to do for self. But it's funny how the anti-government agenda which they promote, and let me tell you, there's a lot of anti-government sentiment in the black community because it's deserved at all levels. But their anti-government positions usually direct themselves at state governments, local governments, and federal governments where Democrats exist. There is no speaking about the Republican-dominated areas surrounding black communities where white people mostly predominate and why it is that many of those Republican-dominated community legislatures and what have you, city councils and what have you, often vote in ways that are destructive to black people. There ain't no discussion about that. It's just the Democrats are the problem. So there is this intent, and, and, and Trump let this out of the bag in 2016. Thank you to Roland Martin for mentioning it. When Donald Trump said, I applaud black folks for not coming out. Now look, fam, I'm going to tell you what. I got hit with, with some of the propaganda that he was applauding in 2016. What do I mean? I started seeing on YouTube, out of the blue, in 2015, videos from black folks trashing Hillary Clinton, trashing her, her stance on super predators, 
People who I ain't never seen since, and I never saw before. There was this one black dude who, I'm a pastor, and you know, I, I wanted to talk to you about Hillary Clinton and what she thinks about black people. There were professionally done videos that I watched that were anti-Hillary. And I ain't realized that this was all part of a coordinated effort. Moreover, on Facebook, I started seeing um, advertisements back then. Now, it was funny because it wasn't necessarily advertisements that were like, oh yeah, this is sponsored by this, 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 this. No, it was clearly people who had, who were either bots or they were people who were being paid by somebody to post this stuff up or people who had just bought into the to propaganda and started posting the propaganda themselves. And Facebook targeted that stuff to me. Now, it didn't change my mind. I still went out and voted for Hillary Clinton. But it really did shake me. And especially after everything happened with Bernie Sanders, I really wasn't certain what to think about Hillary Clinton. These people have been moving. And the, what I see now is there were many different parts that they were putting up 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Over 10 years ago, in fact. They were putting up these many different moving parts, which they then started stringing together in about 2019. Now, can I say that it was deliberate that they put up all these moving parts with this plan and, you know, in place for the future? I can't say that because I don't know that. But I can tell you what's happening now is those moving parts are coming together. And it is beyond thinkable that that's coincidence when you look at where what they tried to accomplish for 2016 they accomplished it slightly in 2016 they accomplished it a little bit more in 2020 and now they're trying to really ramp it up for 2024 because they know if they can get black folks to turn on the Democratic Party by 10 points or more, they win. When you combine it with the um, voter suppression, they are clearly utilizing to, for their benefit. This is a strategy that they have been working on for a long time. And it's paying dividends for them. They're ramping it up because they're becoming afraid that the future has them targeted and that that target cannot be lifted off of them. Well, they have a, they have a right to be afraid because that target won't be lifted off of them. You're now, you're now fighting against history. I've said it before, I'll say it again. We are in an era where justice is the norm. Where justice is the norm. If you have the karma necessary to make shaking your foundations to dust in place, your foundations will be shaken to dust and you will not survive through this period. Oh, well, you're talking violence now. No. No. On the exact opposite. 
deal with your karma. So this doesn't lead to the shaking of your foundations to dust. I mean, for Christ's sake, y'all. Dr. Martin Luther King didn't come here to talk to you and to tell you the pathway to righteousness for you to ignore it. If Dr. King had lived, he was already making the necessary connections to bring his message to a more collective group of people. Combining him, his work, with African indigenous practices, American indigenous practices, um, and various other practices from around the world, I think would have demonstrated something very powerful had he not been assassinated. But, you know, that's all speculation. Moving on. The future is bright. We have a lot of problems. And the people who are looking to not only capitalize off those problems, but destroy using those problems as leverage against people who are trying to survive through the problems those problems create, are working against the tide of history. And there's going to be some severe consequences for that. Now, the black community is in prime position to expand themselves, to expand their political um, position throughout this country. You have states in this country which are deliberately kept poor by the, quote, majority white people, uh, the white populations, which I am increasingly coming to believe that these states, and most of them are in the South, do not have majority white populations. And if they do, it is a very minor difference. It's not huge. But because black folks, as it was revealed by the New York Times in 2020, black folks are not being counted, and neither is brown folks in a lot of these states, accurately. You may be leaving 5, 10, or 15% of black folks and brown folks uncounted in these states, which is to the benefit of the Republican structure. Understand, fam, these people know that this is likely the last decade that they are going to have dominance in this country. Did you hear what I said? Unless they cheat, and that's not out of the possibility, or, or the realm of possibility, they know that the 2020s is their last decade of dominance. That is why they're fighting to hold off the tide of history. Now, here's the thing, family. I talked about black people. I talked about brown folks. And I got to say about black and brown people, man, we need to get together. One of the things that ADOS and FBA is doing, and I believe this is absolutely 100% 
a tactic. A tactic executed to weaken both positions. And they're doing it subtly with Asians too. In the black community and Asians and um, uh, Latinos. They are talking about tethers. They are separating black folks in the United States from black folks abroad. They are separating black folks from, um, in the United States from black folks who call themselves Latinos, who come, south, come from south of the border. And the goal is to, is to minimize our power here. It's clear that's what their goal is. So black folks ain't supposed to care about Latinos, even though black folks and Latinos always been caring about one another's. Black folks in the United States ain't supposed to care about Caribbeans. We ain't supposed to care about Africans. We're not supposed to care about uh, Africans in South America, in Asia, in Europe. We're supposed to just care about ourselves. Which is dumb. Because last time I checked, they ain't saying that Europeans need to do that. They're not saying that, that, that white people in the United States shouldn't care about where their people come from in Europe and make those connections. But they're proposing this for you as blacks or Africans in America who are drug here because of slavery. Who are not descendants of slavery, but descendants from Africans. Africans descendant from Africans at the <laughs> crazy. Anyway, it it really is crazy to me. Anyway, um, so the the move to keep us apart, to keep Chicanos from blacks. Puerto Ricans from blacks. Anybody who ain't black and, and, and rooted to the United States from other blacks. You know, that's, that's the key here. That's what they're trying to do. Now, additionally, as the right wing works on black, brown, and yellow communities, and by the way, I, I should mention that how they're doing this thing with the Asians is, is funky too, is um, there's been a lot of things over the last few years that have circulated about black folks beating up Asians, about black folks assaulting Asians, about um, discrimination among Asian people um, towards black folks. And look, I'm not saying that there ain't problems there because there are definitely problems there. Don't get it twisted. But these people aren't about solving the problems. They're about creating separations. This is a wedge issue that they're pushing. Remember I did the episode on GoPack? You need to go back there and you need to not only listen to that episode, but you need to go back and you need to check out that video. Now while they're pulling all of these stunts, they're also setting up to go after white folks. See, they've already taken white people and set wedge issues in their community. But their problem is now the youth because the youth has seen through their games. 
the people who are about to be 18 this year were born in 2005. That means they were born during the second year, roughly, of the occupation of Iraq. By the time they were four, really a time period of intense personality development, they had a black president, the first in the nation's history. By the time they were eight, they had the Wall Street disaster. They had the bank bailouts, but not the bailouts for the ordinary person. You, you messed up on that, Obama. They had the BP oil spill. They had the crashing of the Greece economy, the near crashing of the Italian economy because wealthy people didn't want to pay their darn taxes. Uh, they had the debacle in Libya. They had Occupy Wall Street. They had Trevon Martin. They had... Uh, there's one other one that I'm forgetting for some reason. Um, oh, and they had the acquittal of George Zimmerman. They had WikiLeaks. They had, you know, there was a ton of stuff. In short, they had a very packed experience. And they also had the rise of the counter-conservative movement among independent media. By the time they were 12, they had Donald Trump. They had the debacle, which was the 2016 elections, where a person could get fewer votes and win because of an antiquated system. They had the intense um, reality presenting itself of the takeover of the country by the right wing. And they saw the ridiculousness of that. By the end of what would have been their 12th birthday, you had the women's movement kicking up. You had um, the Sunrise movement kicking up, I think. You had a real assessment of where the country was at the conclusion of, and I said their 12th birthday, I think. Yeah, that would have been their 12th birthday. Um... You had, a, you had a development of a political maturity that my generation didn't have because it was in their face. These young people didn't have to go searching for this political education. It was in their face, thanks to YouTube and what have you. And by the way, YouTube realized by the time they hit 16, the power that it held because it limited, it limited through the algorithm what independent media could have access to, the audience it could have access to. It shifted to to um, authoritative perspectives, which was, you know, NBC, ABC, all of that garbage. Because young people were saying, the hell with you, you got us into this mess, we're going here. And 
YouTube, being an institution now, said, well, no, we can't have that. We have to have this. And by the time these people were 16, mind you, that's 2021. They saw the trees through the forest. They recognized what was happening. And they knew that they were the hope of the, of the future. And so now they're about to turn 18. And from what has been occurring throughout the country, this generation, I will never call them Generation Z, they are Generation E, thank you Gary Marks, this generation is set up to kick the GOP out. And the GOP knows it. White kids are awake. And this time, they know that if they don't move with black, with brown, with red, with yellow, if they all don't move together, the future of the planet not just the future of themselves and their children, but the, the planet is not only in danger, but will crash to the ground. I mean, do you understand? These people have a right to be afraid of this generation. Because here's the crazy thing. I just went back to 2005. You can do the same thing with 2003. I, I hesitate to go back all the way to 2000 because I really do believe that something changed when the United States went into Iraq. I believe something changed when September 11th happened. I believe something changed when the um, election was stolen by Bush. I, I know something changed, obviously, when all those things happened. But when America went into Iraq, there is a spiritual recognition throughout this world that something needed to occur within this coming up generation that was going to topple the order which has distributed chaos throughout humanity. And this new generation is set to do that. We have not talked about, we have not talked about people born from 2003 to 2007. Or technically people born in 2003 and then looking at how the events could, look, could affect their lives from 2003 to 2007. And then do that every four years. Because it's, it's interesting when you look at the blocks like that. And I didn't pick four years arbitrarily. That has to do with the idea spiritually that at the age of four, you decide concretely that you want to be here in the, your present form to go and carry out whatever work it is that you have to do. Some people make the decision very early, but at four, it definitely gets locked in. And quick quick metaphysical note this is why you have SIDS um, because you, before the age of four and you know it could manifest as many physical problems before the age of four you can essentially abort mission and by aborting mission you just say the life isn't working out it's not going to work out what I set to do isn't going to be able to be done I'm out 
goodbye. And as painful as that is, obviously, for parents and family and what have you, um, the goal isn't pain. The goal is I got to reform and, and recompose so I can come back. And so that's, that's just a metaphysical thing, and, you know, it's what it is. To the parents who have suffered losses due to SIDS, um, my heart really goes out to you because usually um, there are beautiful souls associated with those children, and uh, it, it's almost like a redemption um, with those souls. And so, you know, talk to your children who decided to, to leave and know that they're somewhere um, either preparing to come back in, uh, maybe through your maybe through your family, uh, um, or somewhere else, or they're there watching over you. Um, and so, you know, little 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 bit there for you. Um, the same goes though with uh, you know back to this generation thing, and then I'm going to wrap up here. We can do the same thing for people born in 206, the coming of the first female speaker, and the real recognition that the baby boomers, for all the good they have done, um, they've done a lot of destruction or destructive stuff. And so there needs to be a turning point where we start to move away from their philosophies and their constructions. Sorry if you're hearing the noise outside. You know, I live in the world. So I can't really stop it. Um, an even more interesting one would be like 2009, 2010, and then do the four years and observe it, you know, what happened and what could have impacted the, the young and how they've developed. In fact, that's why the GOP is so worried is because really from like 2008 to the present moment, because of the garbage that they have pulled and the type of world that they have created, along with the information that is now out, man, they've created the type of circumstance that is going to create that is going to produce a generation that is beyond dedicated to overturning their orders. It is going to really be driven to overturn what they thought they were creating. Because it is so poor. What they have created is so poisonous to the planet and to the future of the planet. It, it can't stand. Cancer will either kill you or you will kill it. That is it. There isn't no extraction that's going to take place. You either develop a means to kill it. Or it'll keep coming back and trying to kill you. That's why, you know, when people are like, well, this person is in remission, thank God they are. But there's always a concern that it can come back. Because once cancer gets a foothold, unless you find a way to totally annihilate it, to eradicate it, it comes back. It may not come back for decades, but it comes back. And this, I think, we are now looking at a generation that is an extraction generation. They know cancer must die. If it doesn't, it's coming back, and next time it will be fatal. We don't have 100 years to test this market 
um, philosophy, or not this market philosophy, this marked philosophy out. We've already tested it over the last 130 years, 150 years in fact. Go back to 1870s, when really the modern industrial era began in the United States. Um, we, know, we know what it's going to produce. Now we need to do what we can do to solve the problems that it causes and to eradicate it, extract it from the soil so it doesn't kill us. Questions, comments, concerns? You can always reach out to me. You know I love hearing from you. Uh, I am your brother, Vladimir Diesel. Guy, if you can support the show, please do, please do, please do, please do. 2, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 50, whatever, you know, whatever you can do. Each month, guys, hit me up on PayPal. Hit me up on um, uh, Cash App. Let's build this thing. Cause I'm trying to really get the sustain number up. Um, I do know, and, and look, I'm... I don't like being the type of dude who is, like, pushy, but, look, I know there are some people with some real money who listen to this podcast, and I know it, and I know it, and I know it through certain look at, you know, analytics when I post at certain places. So, all I'm asking y'all to do is, man, give. You know, if you're taking information from this podcast, you're writing articles, which you are getting paid for, you're writing books, which you are getting paid for, you're writing papers, which you're getting paid for, you're talking about these points on your radio shows, which you are getting paid for, your YouTube shows, which you're getting paid for, you can't throw me 20, 30 bucks a month for giving you massive topics. I know there's one host that I love. I listen to the person a lot. I have heard them use ideas coming from this podcast, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times in a week, but like every day. Like they will take one of my episodes and pick out like 10 different things and then talk about it. And that's how they make their money. Yet, they don't throw me a like, hey, dude, here's a 50. Thanks. You know, making me wealthy. If you're doing that, please, you know, show some appreciation for the work that I'm doing. I'm an average guy doing this every day for you, for everybody else. Throw a little bit into the jar, all right? And if you're, if you're having problems accessing PayPal or Cash App, send me a quick message. If you go to anchor.fm um, or... I think it's also on Spotify, but you can also find me on radio, the number four, all, R-A-D-I-O, the number four, A-L-L dot net. Type in Class War Battlefield Podcast in the search bar. It'll come up. Hit contact, you know, click into it, and then hit contact me, which is at the bottom at, you know, like right at the top, you'll see it. And you can send me a quick email. I will respond to you. I guarantee it. I will respond to you. Just let me know that you have problems with it, and we'll get that figured out. Um, again, I'm your brother, Vimeer Diesel Gaia. CWB Podcast, CWB Podcast, Cash App, PayPal. Help me out, y'all. 
Um, Christ comes concerns, reach out to me. I love hearing from you guys. Till next one, y'all. Peace. There's a shadow on the faces of the men who sent the guns to the wars that are fought in places where their business interest runs on the radio talk shows and the TV. You hear one thing again and again. How the USA stands for freedom And we come to the aid of a friend But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments killing their own Or the people who find they can't take anymore And they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone And there are lights in the balance